Take your Bible, if you would, and turn with me to uh, the Gospel of John. Uh, John chapter 1, and this morning we're going to look at one verse. We're going to look at uh, verse 29 in John chapter 1. I said, I think I said this, maybe I didn't say it in both services last week, but we were going to pick up the pace in John, and the fact of the matter is we're not going to pick up the pace. We're going to just take one verse, and so it's the first Sunday of 2021 this morning, and I'm suspecting we'll be done sometime between now and 2031. Uh, I, I hope. The, the, the text is, this verse is too rich to, to lump it together with a, with a section of narrative. And so we're going we're gonna to divide this out a little bit more than we normally would. Uh, and so verse 29, typically in your Bible, you'll probably see a heading before verse 29, and it'll probably go through verse 34 or maybe through verse 42. But the reality is that verse 29 contains so much substance that we would be remiss to to do anything except sit down in it and just marinate in it this morning. John chapter 1 verse 29. If you don't have a copy of God's word, there are some back there. Feel free to pick one up. It's important for you to see the words in front of in front of you uh, in this verse. It's good to see the inspired word of God. It's inspired by the Holy Spirit and is penned by the Apostle John. John chapter 1 verse 29 reads, The next day he, that's John the Baptist, the next day he saw Jesus coming toward him and said, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. When I was a kid, our family took a vacation. I think it was South Dakota, and we toured a cave. I was pretty young, but it was a pretty formative experience. I remembered it to this day, at least parts of it. When we got to the cave, we went down in an elevator, and when we got to the bottom, the tour guide told us that he was going to turn the lights off. He's going to turn the lights off just so that we could see how dark it is in a cave. That's, I don't know how far beneath the surface, but a ways beneath the surface of the earth. And, and when he turned the lights off, it was oppressively dark. Like, can't see your hand in front of your face. Dark. I remember this vividly because I, I think I had the thought, or at least I did later, maybe this was an advanced thought for my age, but I had no idea where I was. I thought to myself, I, I knew where I was when the light was on, but as soon as it turned off, I could be anywhere and, and it, I wouldn't know. Maybe it was a bit of an existential crisis, but I didn't know how big the cave was or where my parents were or anything. And when the tour guide turned the lights back on, I immediately saw all of those things around me again, just as they were just a few moments earlier. But for a moment, you could have told me that anything was happening around me and I would not have been able to verify if it was true or not based on what I could see with my eyes. In, in the prologue to John's gospel, you remember the prologue is the first 18 verses in John's gospel. But in the prologue of John's gospel, uh, you'll, you'll remember that we're told in verse 4 that, uh, that in him, in Jesus, was life, and the life was the light of men. Now last week we looked at verses 19 through, through 28, and we, we unpacked this idea that John the Baptist, Jesus hasn't yet even shown up on the scene yet until we get to verse 29. But John the Baptist is questioned by a, a group of men, priests and Levites. They ask who he is, and they're, they're asking for more information about 
about him as an individual. And he continues to, to tell them who he isn't. And then when they finally say, we need to give an answer to those who sent us, he says, I am the voice crying in the wilderness, make straight the way of the Lord. And so John's purpose then becomes to prepare the people for the coming Messiah. To prepare God's people for the fact that the Christ is coming. And in verse 29, we see that he is coming. But earlier, the the gospel writer John tells us, again in verse 4, that in him was life and the life was light of men. But then in verse 5, the light shines in the darkness and the darkness has not overcome it. Leading up to the coming of Jesus into the world, there was a 400-year gap between what God had said last to his people in the book of Malachi in the Old Testament and then the appearance of John the Baptist onto the scene. Now, in the other Gospels, we see glimpses of, of, of the, the fact that Joseph and Mary are told that the Messiah is coming through them, uh, through their line, and, and that, that sort of thing. But the reality is, before John speaks here, behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world, there is darkness for God's people. In this 400-year gap, Things go quiet. God chooses not to reveal anything new to his people. The sun sets. The wind stops. The skies are starless and everything is silent. Like in a cave with no light, it, it seems as though God's people could be asking the question, where is God? Where, where is God? bearings are lost and nothing is seen. Eyes become essentially useless. Year after year after year after year after year after year for 400 years. And then, in that passage that we looked at last week, this distant voice breaks in. Make straight the way of the Lord. Make straight the way of the Lord. What is this about? If we were among God's people here, if we were among the crowd and we heard this, make straight the way of the Lord. We would say, well, let's move towards this sound. This is something different. It's something new. It's something weighty and it has a depth to it. There's an authority behind what is being said here. Make straight the way of the Lord. A little louder. The light stands among you, but among you stands one you do not know. He is the light, the one who will end the darkness. The true light which gives light to everyone was coming into the world. How do you you find hope in unrelenting darkness? Like in a cave under the surface of the earth, How do you find hope in unrelenting darkness? Could you hold out hope for 24 hours or for 48 hours or for a week if you had food and water? What about a year? How about two years? Could you hold out hope enough to to pass that hope on to the next generation even after you leave the earth? And then the next generation. 
could you pass along that hope to a generation in complete darkness? That's where we are when we get to verse 29. 400 years of unbroken darkness finally ended by the light. John's Gospel tells us that John the Baptist declares that the light has come. The next day he saw Jesus coming toward him and said, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And in that moment, Isaiah 9-2 is fulfilled. The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in a land of deep darkness, on them light has shone. Jesus walked towards John the Baptist, and in that moment, light burst onto the scene for the first time in 400 years. But this was unique. This was different. And it came with those simple words, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. So, because that phrase is so jam-packed and meaningful, we need to sit down and just consider, word by word, what John the Baptist says here is recorded by John the Gospel writer. The light coming into the world. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. So consider with me just the first word in that statement that John the Baptist makes. He says, behold, or look. It, how foolish How foolish would it be for you as a person in complete total darkness, like at the bottom of a cave with no light, how foolish would it be for that person to tell another person to look around? No light at all, complete darkness in a lightless cave where you cannot see your hand in front of your face. Looking is meaningless. There are over a thousand occurrences of the word in the Old Testament and New Testament, the original languages, to look or behold in Scripture. And in every instance, every instance that God tells his people through his servant to look or to behold, light is given to see what is needed to behold. When Scripture tells us to behold, we are, as God's people, given the ability to behold. It's not, it's not, uh, it's complete darkness, you can't see the hand in front of your face, look. It's uh, a moment ago, you may have not been able to see your hand in front of your face, but now look, light is given to see. And for 400 years, God's people did not hear a call to behold. From the prophecies of Malachi to the declaration of John the Baptist here, God's people are in darkness. They are not beholding. But we need to see this behold that John the Baptist speaks of as unique to all other beholds that came before it. Because in all other look or behold that came before this behold finds its fulfillment here in this behold. Jesus is the light of men. Jesus, physically, Jesus created the sun, the moon, and the stars, all the celestial beings, everything that gives us light. The majority of light that we have in this room right now is from the sun coming through the windows. Jesus created it. So he gave us 
the, the physical ability, the physical light to see. But also, in addition to, Jesus gives spiritual light needed to see the things of God. And so at this moment, when John the Baptist says the simple word, behold, he's telling us to look at the one who gives us the ability to look. He is giving us, he is telling us to look at the one who has the ability to, or the ability to give us the ability to look. Look at the one who gives you physical sight and look at the one who can provide you spiritual light. With our eyes, we behold, and with our hearts, we behold. And there were no doubt those there that would be present in the crowd that would hear John the Baptist's words, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world, who would see with their eyes only, who perceived no spiritual substance or significance to the word, Behold, after 400 years of darkness, they, they didn't see it. There were those for whom the darkness would still persist. But there were those who would hear the word behold and recognize and see the glory of Jesus as written by John. If you go back to verse 14. And we have seen or we have beheld his glory. Glory is of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. Because the word took on flesh and could be seen physically walking towards John the Baptist in the crowd. But it was a spiritual sight that only Jesus could grant that would allow for seeing his glory. Glory of his only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. So that first word is absolutely important. Behold, not only is light given, the giver of life, And light is the one who gives it. Behold. But then John the Baptist says, the Lamb of God. Behold the Lamb of God. This phrase, Lamb of God. uh, Scholars have made many attempts at explaining why John the Baptist would opt for this language here. It's not not 100% clear. A, A direct answer or what John the Baptist had in mind at the moment doesn't seem clear, but there are a lot of possibilities. The Old Testament, uh, uh, the Old Testament people of God, the Israelites, had a clearly defined sacrificial system that God gave them. If you read the first five books of the Old Testament, you'll you'll find that sacrificial system given uh, in great detail. In Exodus twenty nine, in particular, a daily sacrifice is offered, and this sacrifice is a lamb. Morning and evening, this sacrifice was made, and it was for the purpose of maintaining fellowship with God. This morning's scripture reading, Blaze read it a few moments ago, in Isaiah 53, in verse 7, Isaiah writes, He was oppressed and he was afflicted. This is finding his fulfillment in Jesus. He was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth like a lamb that is led to the slaughter and like a sheep that... Before its shearers is silent, so he opened not his mouth. The book of Revelation, which John, who wrote this gospel, the apostle John also wrote the book of Revelation, uh, he portrays or sees the victorious Christ and his second coming as the Lamb of God. 
Other, others have offered different solutions, but the question that ties them all together, uh, since there are a lot of possible things John the Baptist could have been thinking about, as he called Jesus the Lamb of God. What is it that ties all of this? Why, why would he call him the Lamb of God here? What, what ties them all together is that Jesus is provision. Jesus is provision. But between the Old Testament and between the New Testament, there are, I'm going to give you another example here, but between the Old Testament and the New Testament, there are this 400 years of, of silence. But this isn't the first 400 years where the people of God don't hear directly from God himself. This happens also between the book of Genesis and the book of Exodus, where the people of God, between Joseph at the end of, at the end of Genesis, in Genesis chapter 50, to Exodus chapter 1, where Moses comes onto the scene. There's a 400-year period there where the Israelites, God's people, are in slavery in Egypt. And at the end of that time frame, as God uses Moses to deliver his people out of Egypt, we have the first Passover. This is probably something you're familiar with, but the Passover uh, is named because the blood of a lamb was spread on the doorposts of the Israelites' home in order that they would be passed over, and the firstborn male in each home would not be killed. This is one of the many signs that God gives, and ultimately the one that causes Pharaoh to let the people exit Egypt. God provides a way for his people. The lamb is a provision. Whether it's to maintain fellowship with God through a morning and evening sacrifice for God's people, whether it's the blood of that lamb on the doorposts in order to spare the firstborn son, Jesus is God's provision given to his people. And Jesus is not just a lamb, but he is the lamb of God. God provides the lamb himself to satisfy what needed to be satisfied. Again, daily offering, morning, evening, maintain fellowship with God and his people. It was needed for that fellowship. But as Jesus walked towards John the Baptist, the crowd that would hear John the Baptist say, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world, as that was occurring, it was seen that no sacrifice for fellowship was required because God was there. God was walking towards them in the flesh. Jesus is Emmanuel, God with us. And when God is with us, fellowship is established. Jesus, full of grace and truth, he was there. The fellowship was now unbroken because Jesus came in the flesh. God's plan of redemption was being revealed. All of the Old Testament is fulfilled in him. Because Jesus is the provision, he is the lamb. But he's also the priest who would offer the sacrifice. Behold the Lamb of God. And then, and then John says, who takes away the sin of the world. Who takes away the sin of the world. The revelation of God's plan of redemption is growing through this statement. Because in the Old Testament, the sacrificial system was given to one people group. 
It was given to the Israelites. God gave his law to the people of Israel and set apart a nation of people. But Jesus didn't come to take away the sin of Israel only. John the Baptist said that Jesus is the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Now, John, the writer of this gospel, uses the term world in a few different ways. And as we explore the book together, we'll explore the multiple uses of the word world that he uses. But here, it's, it's simple and straightforward. Here, it means all kinds of people. We, we can go back to the prologue again in, in verses 11 and 12. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. John says, but to all who did receive him, not just those who are descendants of Abraham, but every man, woman, boy, and girl on the face of the earth, who calls upon the name of the Lord. Jesus came to take all kinds of people's sin. All kinds of people, their sin. Jew and non-Jew alike. Jew and Gentile alike. Jesus' sacrifice covers it all. And so, as a result, from this statement, we can can make a, a, a claim. Jesus is God's perfect provision that will bring about all kind will bring all kinds of people back into relationship with God by taking their sins upon himself as a substitutionary sacrifice. So God provides Jesus Christ in order that we all of us can call upon his name and be saved from the wrath of God that was rightfully upon us because of our sin. Jesus Christ dies as a substitutionary sacrifice in order that we would be brought back into right relationship with our God. Relationship that was severed because of our sin. And so this is the cry. Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. So, so, so what? So, so what does this mean, especially this statement that we've made now? What is, this, what is this phrase, behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world? Why does it matter to us? Well, I think it shows, the primary thing that it shows to us is why good news is good news. Not why the good news is good. If, if Jesus, if Jesus, and he is, if Jesus is God's perfect provision that will bring all kinds of people back into relationship with God by taking their sins upon himself as a substitutionary sacrifice, then there are two direct implications. There are more implications, but there are two direct implications that flow out of the statement, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. The first is, There is nothing that you are and nothing that you've done that can ultimately prevent you from being brought into God's family. There is nothing that you are and nothing that you've done that can prevent you from being welcomed into God's family. 
There is no earthly family that you are born into that can prevent you from being brought into God's family. No matter how terrible your parents were, no matter how messed up your childhood was, God makes a provision for you in Jesus Christ. So, so we as people ought not to fret over our family origin. And likewise, we should not trust our family of origin either. Because our bloodlines can't prevent us from being saved and they cannot save us. It is not uncommon if you're sharing the gospel with someone in our culture here in North Dakota, it is not uncommon for someone to appeal to their upbringing as the reason that they're a Christian. But this text and earlier text, especially in the prologue, makes it clear we cannot trust our past where we come from as the source of our salvation. We should not do that. And additionally, we should not despair over our family of origin because it cannot ultimately prevent us or separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus. Similarly, that's where you come from, but similarly, you undoubtedly have things that you regret in your life. Uh, ways that you've treated others, a, a failed marriage, a string of what feels to be irredeemable decisions in your past, broken relationships with children or, or with parents or with family members in general, patterns of sin that won't seem to relent, but the good news here is that nothing that you've done, no matter how badly you've acted, your past actions will not prevent the Lord from redeeming you through Jesus Christ when you turn from your sin and you trust him. And again, the inverse is true. No, right, uh, no amount of right activity on your behalf can set you apart. It's only by the blood of Jesus. It's only by the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. If Jesus is God's perfect provision that will bring all kinds of people back to himself or back to God, restoring right relationship between you and God, then there is nothing that you are and nothing that you've done that can ultimately prevent you from being welcomed into God's family. The second implication, though, of that is this. If that first thing is true, if it's true that there's nothing that you are and nothing that you've done that can prevent you or bring you into God's family, then, as a result, there is absolutely no logical reason that you would not live for Jesus with all of your life. How could you possibly wind up living for anything else? How could you possibly wind up living for anything other than Jesus? The answer is found in our text. The answer is found in our text. If you find yourself living for self, or living for something other than the person of Jesus Christ, God's perfect provision given so that you might be restored into perfect relationship with God by taking your sins upon himself as a substitutionary sacrifice, 
if, if that's true and you find yourself still living for something else or for yourself, then the first word of John the Baptist's phrase becomes of utmost importance when he says, Behold, the reason why is because you have not beheld. Because you have not seen. That first word becomes phenomenally important because you can behold with your eyes and you can affirm the historicity. You can affirm the fact that Jesus walked the earth and even approached John the Baptist and even the words, behold the Lamb of God, came out of his mouth. You can affirm that that actually happened. But unless you have been given spiritual sight, you can believe all of that happened 2,000 years ago, but unless you believe that, God, that Jesus is God's perfect provision that will bring all kinds of people back to relationship with God by taking their sins upon himself as a substitutionary sacrifice, unless you believe that, believing that everything that you are and everything that you've done is covered by the blood of Jesus, and unless the infinite worth of Christ is clearly seen, and it means that you will sell out fully, living for him with nothing at all holding you back, longing to grow in depth of intimacy and relationship with you. him. Unless this is true of you, you have not beheld. You have seen with nothing more than your eyes, and you need to see spiritually. You need to behold Again, what verse 14 says, and we have seen his glory, glories of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. So, so we're into 2021 now. 2020, first Sunday, 2021, January 3rd. B- Buffalo City Church, I, I don't think that I would be going out on a limb to suggest that some of you, sitting here in this room this morning, some of you have grown disengaged from God's word, and from God's people. Some of you found yourself and find yourself, maybe even currently in this moment, in darkness and hopelessness. There is little to no beholding going on. And the fact of the matter is that you need to have your eyes opened so that you can see. And and maybe the result of this last year is that you realized that you were living for yourself or for something other than Jesus all along. And maybe you're sitting here this morning and you've simply been kidding yourself about being a Christian, that you're trusting your family of origin or or you're saying to yourself, there's something that I can do in and of myself to set myself apart. Maybe you've let the lie creep in that something you are or something you've done eliminates the effectiveness of Christ's sacrifice on your behalf and that has caused you to despair and caused you to feel hopeless. Again, God gives us a lot of beholds over a thousand times in Scripture. God gives us behold and He gives us men and women in the local church to call us to behold. So, so, just like John the Baptist said, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world, we must, as God's people, be declaring to one another, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. When you find yourself prone to hopelessness and despair, 
When you find yourself prone to be trusting in your own self-righteousness, the answer to both of those instances is the same thing. Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. So don't walk into 2020 disengaged from God's people and from God's word. Make it a priority to not forsake God's people and the gathering of them. Make it a priority not to forsake relationships with other men and women who can say to you, behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Make it a priority to spend time regularly, if not daily, or multiple times a day in God's word in 2021. And friends, if you say, no, I got better things to do, there's more important things in my life, I'm praying for you and pleading with you because you need to look and see the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Your problem is beholding the one who is the light and the one who gives the light stands before you this morning. And God is gracious and kind in that. God gives you, and even he's giving you in this very moment, an opportunity to behold. He's extending to you, to you the free gift of salvation if you're outside of Christ. And he is extending to you the opportunity to grow in depth and intimacy with him if you are in Christ. Trust in Jesus Christ. He's the only one who can make you right with God. He's the only one who can cause you to behold. He's the only one that can satisfy your deepest longings. So pray this morning that he will give you spiritual sight to clearly see your need for him. The depth of your sin and the immense need for salvation from the wrath to come that was rightfully yours is now laid upon the person of Jesus Christ. Pray that your life would reflect that he is worthy of all of your worship. Not, not just now. Not just in the moments that we sang. Not just in the moments that you're hearing these words. Not just for the next two to seven minutes or however long we're here. But for your entire week. May this now, in these moments, be the, the pace setter, the, the tone setter for your week. That you would continually be declaring the infinite worth of Jesus Christ in your heart, with your mind, with your lips. In your heart. You will be tempted before you even walk out of those doors to dip into something else. May we as a church behold together God's perfect provision, Jesus Christ, who makes a way for all kinds of people to have fellowship with the infinite, eternal, never-changing God of the universe. Let's pray.